Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Lord, open our hearts to see your magnificent Lord, and may that just stir us to a greater sense of worship. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. And Lord, we want to sing of your praises, but we also want to hear of your truth. And Lord, how it can free us from the enslavement of the sin and the depression, and Lord, even the anxiety that many of us face this week. Lord, we look forward to worshiping together and hearing your word. Lift our voices and hearts to worship you this morning. How wonderful and great are your mercies towards us. Every breath, every step, every thought we have is a gracious gift from you. Great is your name among all things, and may our voices never be silent in singing your praises. You are a father who loves his children. You have provided all that we need, even in our most undesirous, unloving, and rebellious moments. You seek us in order to restore us. Those times are plentiful as our hearts wander from your truth. How many times this week have we sought to live our lives with our own purposes and agendas? In what ways this week have we denied your rightful place in the throne rooms of our heart? Father, we, we pray that you would search us as the psalmist writes and see the wicked ways in us. We ask that you destroy the lofty thoughts we entertain. Do not lead us into temptation, but we ask that you would deliver us from the evil one as you have taught us to pray. We come this morning also to thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. You have not left us alone in our sin and despair. We thank you for the hope of salvation. Let our hearts yearn for that final redemption. Thank you for sending your Son to redeem us and to pay for the penalty of sin. Thank you for accepting His work on my behalf, the innocent for the guilty. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Christ by applying His redemption in our lives. We come together to humbly ask for a greater increase of faith this morning. Please grant us the strength to do the works that you have prepared for us to do. Take away our excuses and the distractions that so easily beset us and entangle us. Empower us for your work. And in all things, may you be lifted up this morning, whether it's in our prayers, in our singing, in our listening, in our reading, in teaching and applying of your word. We pray this in the name of your Son, who makes all this possible and speeds our prayer before your throne. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do as we pray in your Son's name. And all of God's people said, man, we have a great God, do we not? I guess Happy New Year. This is our first Sunday of the year, is it not? Very good. It's good to see you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Galatians. As we discovered in last week's passage, Paul is perplexed by the actions of the churches of Galatia. He doesn't understand why they have started out so strong only to be seduced by the demands of the Judaizers 
to return to observing the Mosaic law in order to become children of God. The conclusion from Galatians 3.15 has now been made evident in his arguments when he writes that even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls to it or adds to it once it has been ratified. In other words, the Mosaic law did not supersede or annul the promise to Abraham in which God promised to send an offspring to redeem the world. Therefore, no one, neither Jew or Gentile, is any longer under the Mosaic law as we are now living in the days of the promise of Abraham being fulfilled as Christ is the offspring that we've been looking for of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And He is the one that brings salvation. And all those that put their trust in the finished work of Christ belong to the family of Abraham. Amen? And so, so are we all. And Paul emphasized this last week by pointing out the wonderful doctrine of the foreknowledge of God that tells us that God loved us before we loved Him. He points out that this doctrine should give us the desire to want others to know the love of God themselves and that we should demonstrate our faith and rest in God's perseverance with thankfulness and love. And that brings us to where we are in Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. As today, we're going to begin a new theme by Paul. Up until now, he's been defending the gospel. Now he's going to call the Galatians to action by freedom in Christ. This passage today begins a call to action as children of God to live out the implications and the truth of the Gospels, not only in their lives, but in their relationships with each other. Paul, once again, is going to contrast himself with the Judaizers. And as we read this, I want to see if you can find this as he contrasts his heart for the Galatians the Galatians' heart for Paul, and then the heart of the Judaizers. Previously, Paul had argued from salvation history and logic and reason, but now he moves and he's going to make a personal plea based on their relationship and their history together as brothers and sisters of Christ. Hence, we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He writes, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, thank you for this, this word from Paul to the church. We see his heart, the heart of a father for his children, an anguish plea of an anguished parent. And probably there's many parents here that could relate 
to Paul as he has a desire for his children to turn from this rebellious and disobedient ways. To see a child go off, we want to bring them back at all cost. I pray now that you open up our hearts. Let us receive your word with thanksgiving. Let it receive it with joy. Father, may your spirit have free reign. Let me speak the words of the truth. Let us discern between just my comments and opinions and those that are the very words of God and which direct us towards you. And I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility to do so. We pray this in the name of your Son once again. Amen. There's three hearts in view here, but I want you to keep your fingers there in Galatians because we're going to look at another passage of Scripture in a little bit. But I want to show you three hearts are in view in this passage. And let's go to the first one. The first heart that's in view is Paul's heart for the Galatians. The big idea that Paul is emphasizing is that he desires for the Galatians to be like me. Anyone here old enough to remember the Be Like Mike campaign back in the 80s and the 90s with Michael Jordan? You know, Be Like Mike. Well, this is something that is a, that is a reoccurring theme in Paul's letters. He's always telling them, be like me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, you know, we do that ourselves, do we not, as parents? We want our children to imitate us. We teach them how we're to act. And then we show them the things about ourselves that we do not want them to do. Uh, you know, or do what I say, not what I do. But yet, in reality, we do want our children to imitate us. And they do. We ask them to do things for us. We, we have certain ways that we like to do it. And we teach that to them. And Paul is very much the same way. This has been a constant theme in his letters. As he strives to model the power of the gospel in his life. And I think that's powerful. You need to understand that. For Paul, it was not enough to teach it. He wanted them to model it. He wanted them to see what it meant to live as a godly man and a godly woman, to live as the gospel has really made a change. And let me, let me take a side note already. Is you and I ought to live as if the gospel makes a difference. And I think there are many people now, even in the secular world, even in, in secular media that are noticing that Christians today act and think no differently than the world. And brothers and sisters, that should not be so. There ought to be a difference. The gospel ought to have a, make a difference in our life. We ought to think differently. We ought to act differently. We ought to behave differently. We ought to have different desires and different agendas so sad when someone comes to know Christ, but let, there's no change in their life, or, or there is, but then they go back into their old ways of living. I think there's a danger there. There's a warning throughout Scripture that those who truly are Christ are a new creature. Old things, he says, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there's a challenge. That's just a side note. That there does not cost you anything. But hold on to it, because I think that's a nugget you know how to bury and uh, let it grow deep into the soil. Paul writes an imperative. He says, become as I am, for I became as you are. What Paul is pointing out is that one time he was a Jew that zealously observed the law, even to the point of persecuting and killing Christians, as you may recall. At one time, he believed that observing the law would bring freedom and salvation. But through the grace of God, he came to realize that the law did not bring freedom or salvation. 
And so he took away and shed himself of the law and became as they were, as a Gentile, someone who was free from the demands of the law. Interesting. Now the Gentiles are now wanting to transgress from being free from the law to putting themselves under its burden. But by the mercies of God, Paul's heart was open to the gospel and the truth of Christ. And he received it with gladness, just as you and I have. It was in the gospel that he found freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. And it's only through the finished work of Christ that he has any hope that one day he'll be free from the presence of sin. And that's you and I's hope that we hold on dear to. That is the gospel that Paul preached, that they received, and he is defending against the influence of the Judaizers. Paul's heart is also evident here as he reminds them of his condition when he first began to share the gospel. Look at verse 13. He says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. It seems from this testimony, from this line, that Paul was in Galatia to recover from some type of illness. And like Paul, he never let a good illness go to waste. He says, if I'm going to get there recovering, then I'm going to do something for God. I've, I've seen people like that, you know, where they're, where they're in the hospital and they're just, you know, just in terrible condition. But here they are spending that time bedridden and they're sharing the gospel with their nurses and with their doctors. They got to come in, right? If you're going to come in and wake me up all hours or night, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Paul was like that. Man, he had captive audience. Hey, throw me in prison. You're just going to throw me in prison with 20, 30, 40, 50 guys. I want to share with them the gospel. That's what happened. And prisoners and, and soldiers would get saved, and then they would go out. That's how the gospel works. And Paul says, I'm going to use this opportunity. I, I encourage you. What opportunities do you have to share Christ? You may say, well, woe is me. This is a terrible state of mind, but it may be the very thing that God is using to share his gospel. There's been much conjecture about what type of sickness he had, but in reality, it's not really known what it was. But there was a time where he was in Galatia, and he began to preach the gospel. But in reading this, we see the strength of Paul and his perseverance in sharing the gospel. He was not going to let anything stop him from advancing the gospel. With that, keep your finger there in Galatians chapter 4 with you, with me, and then turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to ask you to keep your finger also there for a little bit as we're going to look at several passages as we go on. I want to bring you to the 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because you get a sense of what Paul's heart. Remember, that's, we're trying to get Paul's heart. And Paul's heart is one in which he's going to persevere in his love. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 23. He says that he's preaching the gospel with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times, he says in verse 24, I received the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own 
people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, and even from false brothers. Look at verse 27. He says, In toil and hardship, hardships, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Let me tell you, there is the heart of a man who loves God, loves the gospel, and loves the people that he's trying to reach. That's the type of heart that you and I have. These hardships did not deter Paul from sharing the gospel, which begs a real quick question. This is a drive-by challenge of what keeps you from sharing the gospel. Look at what he went through. And you and I will say, well, I can't share the gospel today. It's a little bit windy. It's a little bit cold. Oh, someone might shut the door on us. And I'm guilty of myself. What stops you from sharing the gospel? What keeps you from having a heart of Paul? However, we also see Paul's heart in verse 19 of Galatians. If you want to keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 11, or 2 Corinthians 11, go back to Galatians. For in verse 19, he refers to them as what? Little children. You can see how he has a father's heart for them. It's evident that he has a special love for those that have accepted not only him, but his message. And even though he was not present with them at the time of this letter, they were never far from his heart. As we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, he goes then in addition to all the physical hardships that he endured in sharing the gospel. Look what he writes in verse 29. Or 28, he says, There is the daily pressures on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So even when he was separate from them, even when he wasn't there, he was carrying on a love and a care in the anxieties of what is going on in the churches. So in this case, distance, or what's the, there's an old phrase that absent makes the heart fonder. And Paul had a deep fondness for them. He was not, oh, I shared with you the gospel, now I'm going on to the next uh, mark on my gospel gun. He describes that the hardship has been an anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What a stark picture that is. He uses this metaphor of labor pains to paint a, a very stark picture of the love and suffering of a mother for her children. Many of you mothers can understand this. You may be pregnant and it may be just a, a very hard time for you. And you know that there's going to be a great time of suffering and pain and you're not looking forward to it, but yet you go through it because of the child. And now the first one, you may say, well, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but there's many of you that have had more children after going through all that. What does that show? That shows the love of a mother. Well, determination. And then we see here that this is what he has for his children as he wants to see Christ formed in them. The pain and suffering, though, continues as any mother or father, any parent can tell you, even after the birth as the child grows, does it not? In the same way, Paul desires to see them grow in a maturity into Christ. Paul's mission is not done until it is evident that their profession of faith is real and they are Christ-like. Hence, we see the defense of the gospel against the influence of the Judaizers. 
I come from a background where many times all we want to do is get someone to say the prayer, right? You know what I'm talking about. Hey, just ask Jesus in the heart. Say that you're a sinner. Confess and repent and just ask Jesus in your heart and then you're all gone. And then we walk away. And then the next time the pastor says, well, how many did you lead to Christ? You led 10. You led 5. Wow, that's great. You led 3. Okay, a little bit low week. You did 20. Wow. And we reduce the gospel to just getting people to agree with us. Whether or not they really do or not, most people just give up and say, I'll say the prayer just to get rid of them. But Paul says, that's not what I'm looking forward to. To me, the gospel means that I see that it's growing in their lives, and that's what Paul is looking at here. He closes this part of our passage with his wish for him to be personally with them, as it's hard to help from a distance and through letters. And I'm sure there's many of you parents that can understand that, isn't it? It's difficult to be away from your children. It's difficult to love them and to discipline and to cultivate them. Well, that's Paul's heart. That's the type of heart I think you and I ought to have. But then you have the second view, and that's the second heart that's in view, is that's the Galatians' heart for Paul. It seems at first glance, at first blush, it actually seems to be very positive. Paul points out in verse 14 that previously they had a great love for him as they not only received his message, but they also received the man in his weakness when he thought, when he writes that though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. It's remarkable to me to see that God's power is displayed through Paul's weakness, not through Paul's strength. Yet that is how God works. Some mistakenly believe that God only works through the strong and the powerful. But God uses our weaknesses to show His power, as that brings God the most glory. If you're still there in 2 Corinthians, let me show you one last verse, the end verse of that passage, verse 29. When Paul says, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That's so much against the world culture and the worldview. It's about showing our strength. We're never to show our weakness. That's wrong. But in the gospel, Paul shows, realizes that the gospel is made more powerful in his weakness. You know, his sickness did not keep them, the Galatians, from accepting not only his message, but himself. They love and accepted him, even to the point of wanting to help and alleviate his suffering, as he reminds them in the second part of verse 15, back at Galatians chapter 4. He says, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Talk about a heart. They loved Paul. They wanted to alleviate his suffering. They didn't care what he looked like. They didn't care what was going on. Now, whether or not it was his eyes, we don't know. It could have been just a metaphor or just some type of wordplay to show how serious they were. Paul even comments in verse 12 that they did me no wrong. They accepted him at the beginning, even though he was very sick. Their acceptance of him and his message demonstrated the genuineness of their love and the profession of their faith. And he wants them to continue to prove their confession. 
So the Galatians' heart here at the beginning shows a great love for Paul and acceptance. However, something has changed here as Paul is writing this letter. Their attitude has changed, even as we saw last week in verse 11, where Paul writes that I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. What terrible words, and we looked at that last week. Paul asks in verse 15, What then has become of your blessedness? What has become of the gospel implications in your life, the joy of the gospel in your life? And in verse 16, he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? These are not accusations, but blunt rhetorical questions to provoke their heart, to consider their actions and their attitudes and what's going on in their life and their acceptance of the Judaizers just as their acceptance of him showed their love for him, their opposition now to Paul's teaching now shows rejection and makes them an enemy of the gospel and leads Paul to write, I'm perplexed about you. I don't understand. I'm confused. Your heart is not genuine. You love and receive me, now you hate and reject the very thing that I teach. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had someone in your life in which you loved and then something happened to that relationship and it became sour? I'm sure most of us have. Something might have happened in maybe just in a family with a brother, sister, aunt, and uncle. Maybe some of you have experienced it in a marriage and went through the difficulties and the trials of a divorce, maybe through a son and a daughter, let me tell you, it is not a good place to be. But their heart betrays what they truly believe and think of Paul. And that leads us then to the third heart that's in view, and that's of the Judaizers' heart, the heart of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jews, once again, just to bring us back all together to understand. The Judaizers were Jews who made a profession of faith in Christ, yet believed that all people, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, had to observe the Mosaic Law, including circumcision for the men, to be part of the family of God. To them, salvation was by faith, but plus works of the law. That's been the debate. And though this may seem like a simple request from the Jewish people, and maybe it was an innocent teaching, it was contradictory to the message of the gospel of salvation is by grace through faith alone. How is one made right with God? That has been the questions of Galatians. That has been the debate that has been raging. Paul had written strongly against the teachings of the Judaizers, as we have read earlier in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. If you have it, turn to it. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we have preached to you, let him be, does anyone want to finish it off? Accursed. Let him be accursed. To Paul, the Judaizers were not innocent, misguided teachers, but they were evil distorters of the gospel that led people to error and to slavery. By the way, again, let me give you another side note. 
You and I are called today to defend the gospel from many who would distort its message of salvation by grace through faith. And that is under attack every generation. We think, oh, it was, it was finished with the Reformers and the Protestants and the Catholics. Didn't that get solved with Martin Luther? No, it rages every generation. Salvation by grace through faith. Each and every generation. It's compounded. One might say, well, can't we cut them a break? I mean, they love Jesus, and they have the same cultural and political view as we do. And you know when that's true? There are many other denominations and religions who preach Christ, who want to say Christ things, who want to use the same language as we do, and they have the same worldview and political desires as we do, but yet their gospel distorts the very gospel of salvation. And it's leading people to hell. And we ought to be as mad as hell about it. We need to realize that this is not something to say, oh, well, he's a nice guy, he has a nice smile, that's okay. No, people's lives are in danger. However, God says these people are accursed. How can you and I say, well, yeah, but, but he's, he's got a nice suit. Some will make allowances for them by saying, yeah, but they're zealous. Isn't that a good thing? They have a desire to please God. But Paul was zealous. He had a desire to please God. We just know him then as Saul. Yet Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That ought to be our desire. He goes on, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And that's what we have. That's an attack with the gospel. That's what the Judaizers were trying to do. No, here's our righteousness. God's is not enough. The gospel, that's too much. It's too simple. It's too easy. Or we don't like it. You and I need to understand that. You and I have friends and family that are involved with some of the things. I, I tell you, I read Facebook, and sometimes I read some of the comments and some of the, uh, the readings that people, you know, they put up little sayings. And some of the people that some of my own family put up, I'm thinking, hey, this person is a false prophet. It's a false teacher. Oh, yeah, that, that quote sounds good in and of itself, but the context of their whole ministry is outside of the gospel. And what do you and I do? That, that's very difficult to understand what to do. We've got to check our heart. Zeal is not always pleasing to God. Good intentions are not always good to God. Just trying to please God is not always pleasing to God. Paul wouldn't understand this firsthand. He was a man who was zealous for God, was he not? He was a man who wanted to please God, was he not? He was a man who thought he was doing God's work as he was persecuting Christians from north to south, east to west. You see, zeal is good when focused on God and tempered by the gospel. 
However, the Judaizer's zeal was to make converts for their own glory. And their desire was to include the Gentiles in their own faith and practice, disregarding the gospel. They were just trying to up their numbers and get people on their side. And Paul writes at the heart of the Judaizers when he writes in verse 17 that the Judaizers' desire was to make much of you Galatians. They're going to flatter you. They're going to lift you up for no good purpose in order to make much of themselves by wanting to shut you out from the gospel. And let me tell you, there are many ways of the gospel being preached today, many ways in which people are talking about Christ, but the only effect of that is not including you into the kingdom of God, but it's going to exclude you from the kingdom of God. Hence, Paul is so desirous as a parent who's given an anxious plea and saying, listen, you think that you're, they're including you, but in reality, they're excluding you from the family of God and from the kingdom. Go back to the gospel. Let me ask you, what kind of heart do you have this morning? Do you have the heart of Paul, where you love the gospel, desire to share it, and you will not let it be distorted, and you will not let anything deter you from that mission? Do you have a heart to see Christ formed in not only yourself, but also in your family and in others, and in others in the community? Or are you like the Galatians? Yeah, I love the gospel, good news, but man, it just, I don't know. Maybe I need something else, you know? I need something else. I, I really just need something to help me be a better boss or a, a better employee or, or I just want to know how to be, you know, make more money. You know, there's this advertisement, uh, a pastor, it's a former pastor who is peddling his new Bible code or money code that's found in the Bible and how he's made thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. All you have to do is read the Bible. I think, I think you're going to get to that in week three in reading the Bible, Dustin, is, is where the money code is. Yeah. It says, yeah, write a check, send it to me. What type of heart? Do you have a distracted heart? Do you have one that bounces around? Oh, well, that's good. Well, that's good. Well, that's good. That's good. You're like that, you're like that dog in, what's that movie? Up. Squirrel. You know, that's how we are. We're ready to go any every direction. Scripture warns us about that, does it not? We're gonna, we have itching ears looking for people to tell us what we want. Or do you have a heart of a Judaizer? Maybe you're just really trying to build your own kingdom and your own influence. Even right here today, attending and really what you want to do is you say, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe, and I want everyone to think like I do. Many agendas going on like that today. They take the Bible and make it, make it say what they want it to say. You'll hear people every day quoting the Bible. What did Jesus say about this? What did Jesus say about that? Well, Jesus never said anything. So then they make a political or cultural, social, uh, educational view on that, and then they just want to get everyone on their side. And then we poll, and then we say, well, since 55% of the people believe this, this must be true. God hasn't called us to poll find out what the truth is. Amen? It's found in God's Word. We're encouraged and commanded to get onto it. Paul is calling them to freedom in Christ. What type of heart do you have for yourself, and for those in your life, and for those in your community? Let me get you to the practical living. This is the application. 
Here's the thing that you need to study. If you want to have the heart of Paul, it comes very simple. I want to share with you what you're to know, what you're to do, and what you're to be. The first thing is you need to know this. Paul is saying is that we are to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Hence he says brothers. Hence he gives himself as a parent. We need to realize that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And in it we are to be we're to have Christ formed in us. That's what we're predestined to, that we may be in the image of the firstborn, Christ. And Paul's duty is not done until Christ is formed. And so you and I have a responsibility. We have a first person, second person, and third person. You and I need to realize is that we need to let ourselves know that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to encourage our family and each other to love each other in Christ. And then we need to reach out and say, here, we love you. Let me show you the love of Christ. That's what Paul is sharing here. You need to know this. And this can't be just head knowledge. You need to live it out, which shows us to the do. This is what you need to do, is you need to confront, cultivate, and care for each other. In other words, we need to be like Paul. Paul realized that there are times to confront each other. We saw this not only as he confronts the Galatians, but he confronted Paul very early in the book where he says, or excuse me, where he confronts Peter. He says, Peter, you're wrong. Peter, this is wrong. You're making yourself an enemy of God. He confronts and says, hey, listen, if you preach another gospel, if you receive another gospel, you're accursed. You see, those of us that love will confront, just as a parent will confront his child or his spouse when they are in error, when they are doing something that harms them. We don't like that. By the way, there's probably not too many of us that like confrontation. For most of us, we probably go out of our way to, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, to to stay away from it. You know, we we don't really like it. Now, there's some of you that might like it, you know, but for the most part, we don't like it. But that also is love. The world doesn't like the confrontation. They just like love. Well, there is confrontation in love. We're also to cultivate. That's to get a heart for each other, to to stir the heart, to build up, to encourage, to exhort, to provoke one another to good works. There's the 63 one another, 65 one another's in the Bible in which to cultivate the heart of each other. It's not enough to confront, but we need to cultivate. That's what we do in small groups. Hey, what are you thinking? How's your heart? How can I pray for you? How can I love you? And that leads us to the third one is to care. Can't just confront and cultivate, but we need to weep with those who weep. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I share with you, if you want a true heart of Paul, the heart of Christ, you need to cultivate and confront and care for those, not only in your lives, but yourself and the world. And this is what we're to be. Because it's not enough to just do that. That's almost like a law. But let me give you some gospel. Gospel is we're to be patient with each other in our sanctification. For when we confront, cultivate, and care, we need to be patient. The Bible tells us that loving is being patient with each other. What does he tell us in 1 Corinthians? Be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. This job of confronting, cultivating, caring is hard work. It's difficult work, and it's long work. None of us, Christ is not going to be formed in us completely until the day that He returns or brings us into heaven. Amen? And so until then, we need to be patient. I thank God for those that have been patient for me. There has been many that have not, but I'm thankful for those that are. 
And I pray that you pray for, for Randy and I as your elders, and for Dust and Nicole as they run in their ministries, that we have that heart of confronting and, and cultivating and caring, but yet we do it with patience, just as you are yourself to do so. Let me share with you real quick, and I know time is getting from us. But see, what we want to do is we're wanting to be Christ-like. That's what Paul is looking forward to. He says to receive the gospel means you're beginning a journey of becoming more like Christ. And that's what he's in anguish was. I want to see Christ in you. The Galatians were not exhibiting that. My challenge to you, are you exhibiting one who's a Christ is one who's going to confront, to cultivate and care by being in patience. Let me share with you real quickly how Jesus confronted, cultivated, and cared for those with patience. Let's look real quickly in how he confronted as Jesus rebukes Peter and Matthew. It's on the screen. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. In verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke who? Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What was Jesus' response? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of men. Let me tell you, there are times that we may have to do that. We may have to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. Jesus also shows us how to be more Christ-like as he cultivates as you see, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, and I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me and I in you. What is Jesus doing? His last words to his disciples. And in it, he's sharing with them what he's doing. He's cultivating their heart. He's letting them know you're not going to be alone. He's trying to strengthen them and saying, I'm going to send us a, a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll bring all things into remembrance. Jesus cultivated the heart of those. You and I need to be in the business of cultivating not only our own heart, but the hearts of others. And then let me share with you how Jesus cares. As we look at Jesus calming the storm in Matthew chapter 8, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there rose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped in the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Even when they were of little faith, even when they did not trust him, he cared for them. And that's the type of heart we ought to have for others. There's going to be people in our congregation, in our lives, that are going to need confrontation. Sometimes they're going to need cultivation. And sometimes they just need to care. Why? Because that's what Christ is. And we ourselves need to have Christ formed in us by living out what Christ has called us. We are to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ by confronting, cultivating, and carrying each other with patience.
May it so be with us. The last word I'd like to give you is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Father, may we continue to live this way. I pray that our heart would be of Paul. Lord, I pray that our hearts would just embrace the gospel and live out its implication. Give us the strength, Lord, to see you as who you really are. And may you be formed in us, Lord, as we love each other as brothers and sisters in you by confronting, cultivating, and caring each other with patience. Give us the strength to do so, we pray. In the name of your Son, who modeled this for us, we pray, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.